I love that song, Satisfied. You know, the Lord satisfies everything. You know, all the, the hungers, the longings that's in the soul. I'm thankful the Lord reminds us that He is the one that satisfies. And as we, as we choose to journey with the Lord, what we find is that He is the one that's, that fulfills all those needs that we may have in our life. But it all comes back with a, with a starting place. Where do we begin? Think about, have you ever made a journey? Ever, ever maybe uh, taken a hiking trip? Anybody like to hike? Amen. That's a lot of fun. Get out in the mountains and uh, enjoy the, the beautiful scenery. I love the Buffalo River Basin. We've been up in the Colorado Mountains doing some hiking in different places. And me and the kids, we love it. We get to go do, do some bouldering, something like that that's crazy and dumb. And, and uh, there's nothing like having your three-year-old on top of a rock, you know, in, in the air. But, you know, we just enjoy things like that. But you don't, you don't start in the middle of the journey. You start at the very beginning. If it's the parking lot or maybe it's home with the packing, you know, you start, you have a starting place. Today, as we look at John chapter 1, we're going to see the starting place for the disciples. It's the very beginning for them. And so we've been able to look at John the Baptist, and we're going to see that, that transition from John the Baptist and the message that he was preaching into the lives of the disciples and in a glorious opportunity as they put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's like that first step in this journey with Jesus. You know, even greater than that, uh, any race that must be run, and, and I think about Paul as he said that this life is like a race, this, this Christian life. If you're going to run this race, you must take that first step. And that's what we're dealing with today as we look at the disciples' life. And as we, we contemplate their first steps, let me ask you, can you recall the day you put your life in the Lord, uh, put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ to save you? I remember the day. Matter of fact, today is kind of special for me because today is the day. Today, 33 years ago, as a, as a little boy, I realized I, needed a, I was a sinner, I needed a Savior, and Jesus was the one that I needed, that He had died and rose again to save me for, uh, for that purpose, to save me of my sins, and I put my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. And I tell you, it began a lifelong journey, a 33-year journey so far, 33 years ago, January 31st, 1988. What a glorious thing God has done. And I'll tell you, if you can remember the day, maybe you don't remember the date, and that's a whole other story I could tell another time. You don't have to remember the date, but do you remember the day? And that's important today. The Gospel of John records for us the day. The day that John, James, Simon, Andrew, Philip, Nathaniel, these men put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, if you have been with us the last couple of weeks, you've known that we've seen a delegation. We've seen a declaration. The delegation came from the Pharisees. We've heard the declaration of John the Baptist. Behold the Lamb of God. He said, this is the Messiah. Well, today we're going to see a day of decision. This is the third day. The third day of uh, all that has gone on uh, since the book of John uh, began and all of these, these things are, have happened. And as we see this, this is a glorious time where we see Christ moving in the hearts of men. I'm so thankful that God still works. Amen. He still works in our hearts and lives. He's not dead. God's not dead. He's still alive. You know that kid's song? Sometimes I just want to burst, bust out with that. God's not dead. He is alive. You know what I mean? All right, well, some of, you, some of you remember that song. Some of you said, man, this preacher's crazy. I'm getting out of here. But he's not. He's still alive, and he's still on the throne, and we remind ourselves of that. Now, some people have, have looked at John chapter 1, verses 35 through 51, which we're about to read, and then they read also in Mark chapter 1, verses 16 through 20, and they say, 
hey, something's wrong. They don't, they don't line up exactly right. And you're right, because they're recording two different events. So if you're reading through the Gospels and you come to Mark 1 and you read John 1 and you're thinking, these don't look like the same. It's because two different events are happening. Today we're looking at the day of decision, the day where they put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Mark chapter 1 records for us the day that they heeded the call of God in their life. Different decisions, different moments in their life. But today's an important day. So let's look and let's read God's Word in John chapter 1 verses 35 through 51 as we read this together. Would you read with me? And the next day, after John stood and two of his disciples, and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and saw them following, and saith unto them, What seek ye? And they said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say, being interpreted master, where, de- where dwellest thou? And he saith unto them, Come and see. They came and saw where he dwelt and abode with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And and he first findeth his own brother Simon and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. The day following, Jesus would go forth into Galilee and findeth Philip and saith unto him, Follow me. Now Philip was of Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip findeth Nathanael and saith unto him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did, uh, did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said unto him, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? And Philip saith unto him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him, and saith of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. And Nathanael saith unto him, Whence knowest thou me? And Jesus answered and said unto him, Behold, that Philip called thee, excuse me, before that Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. And Nathanael answered and saith unto him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God. Thou art the King of Israel. What a declaration, amen. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree that believest thou, thou shalt see greater things than these. And he saith unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Hereafter you shall see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Let's stop and pray together. Father, we thank you for this wonderful uh, event that has taken place in Scripture. Lord, for this moment when uh, John reveals to us Uh, the point of conversion for not only himself, but also for other disciples. And God, what a great reminder this is uh, of the need for each of us to have a point of personal decision to trust in the Lord. And so, God, I just pray that tonight you would remove hindrances to the, uh, the preaching of the gospel, that you would allow us, Lord, to be able to key in close and, Lord, and to heed your spirit. And that, God, if any are lost here today or maybe that are watching, that, Lord, that they would put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ before it's eternally too late. And so, God, we just pray that you would work mightily in our, in our midst today. In Jesus' name, amen. As we look at this process, we can look at these, the disciples and we see in their lives, really, uh, how God brought them along. And He led them, by the way, and He brought them to a point of decision, and that decision led them also to respond in a certain way. 
And as we look at the disciples' lives, we're going to see that, that each of them had different circumstances, but they all had to come to the same decision. Now, if we were to take a poll survey in the room today, which unfortunately we don't have time for, and we were to just ask you, where were you when you were saved? We would find that people were all different places when they were saved. How many were saved in church? Amen. A predominant amount of people were saved in church. How many were saved at home? Amen. Quite a few people were saved in their home. Praise the Lord. And you remember that moment, and you remember that day, and it was different. It, you know, for you and for me, I was saved in a church, Bible Baptist Church of Venice, Texas, after my preacher was done preaching. My dad, uh, my dad was the one that led me to the Lord at the altar. I remember that day. I remember the events around it. I remember the excitement and the joy, and maybe you do too. But as we look at this, the disciples' lives, we see in their lives, not only were they confronted with the truth of Jesus, but then they also had to believe, and then they also responded by broadcasting the truth. But let's behold His life. Let's behold Jesus today. That means simply to gaze upon, to view, to, to, to look intently at this morning. Some, some people mistakenly believe that followers of Jesus are ignorant, they're weak, maybe even delusional. They, they, we need a crutch, that's what they tell us. Yet, as we view the diff different disciples, we see that these were, many of them, were burly fishermen. How many fishermen do we have? Wow. Either you're ashamed or you don't like fishing, one or the other. You know, that, I, I appreciate fishermen. Now, fishermen today probably were not the same as they were then. Hey, can, I, can I get amen to that? Today I go out with my, with my really uh, heavyweight spinner rod. It's got crappie line, typically four pound maybe. And I get it out there and, I, and I'm doing my fishing and it's really not hard work. My wrists wear out before anything else or my backside, one or the other, from sitting in the boat. But this day, they, they were in boats where they had to drag the, the, the sea. The Sea of Galilee was where they would fish predominantly, and they would have these nets that go along through there, and then they'd have to pull up the fish into the boat. They were big, strong, burly men. Now, if you've ever been on Stockton in the midst of, uh, of a storm that rose up, you kind of know how quickly the storms can rise up on, on water. Well, they dealt with that as well. These were not fearful men. They were not men who were afraid of anything, they, but they were men who were strong, who were capable, and about 7 out of 12 of them were fishermen. But we also see later one of the disciples that followed Jesus, not in these first 12, but, but was a man later who followed Christ, was Luke, who was a doctor. A man well-educated, a man who was, was meticulous in his care as he uh, recorded for us the gospel of Luke. And later he wrote the events of the early church in the book of Acts. And he meticulously recorded that for Theophilus. And we were, we were the recipients of it as well today. And we see that, that he was also one of those. So not just a strong men, but educated men. And then we find a Roman official, a tax collector. Amen? Heaven forbid. Hey, if he could get saved, anybody could get saved. But look, listen, the followers of Jesus were a variety of different people, different backgrounds. I mean, even Texans can get saved, amen? Okay. All right, y'all are either sleeping or you're just, I don't know, my jokes are just way out of the way. Listen, we, we see this and sometimes we think, well, you got to be a certain stripe or a certain flavor. you got to only be a, a certain way and then God will save you. But the reality is, as we look at the disciples' lives, Christ was willing to save from all different backgrounds, from rich and poor to strong or weak, from all different types. I'm thankful that God's salvation is made available to all men everywhere. 
And that's the truth uh, of this, of this uh, passage here, is that though these men are different, though they have similarities, and though their circumstances are different, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever, is the Lamb of God for all of us. And as James and John are the first two we're going to look at today. In verse 35, we see John the Baptist it says, the next day after John stood and two of his disciples, remember we talked about him some last week and the week before as we were dealing with John's life and his ministry, but we see the results of his ministry was to point people to the coming Messiah. And he says in verse 36, and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he had his disciples around him, he saith, and I can just picture him in his mind, behold the Lamb of God. Here he is. Look upon him. Guys, this is who I've been preaching about. This is the one. This is the Lamb of God. I invite you to follow him. Above everything else, follow Jesus. And that was his message later in John 3.30. He must increase and I must decrease. John the Baptist pointed James and John, who were disciples of his own, to follow Jesus Christ because they knew, he, uh, he knew that he was not the Lamb. He was just the voice. That's what we shared last week. And so John, John said, listen, follow the Lamb of God. Now, as we look at this, God wants to save sinners. And in salvation, we see that Andrew and James, as they received Christ, as we see this in this passage, that they didn't stay the same. And He doesn't want us to stay the same either. I'm thankful that the work of salvation is also a work of transformation in my life. It's called sanctification. It's the process whereby God takes me from, uh, from my, uh, well, justification is, is, is the moment that I get saved. Sanctification is the process where He makes me more like Christ. And I'm looking forward to the day of glorification. Well, I will meet Him in the air. But there's a universal need for us to heed the words of John the Baptist and behold the Lamb of God. This means to see that each of us are in desperate need of salvation today. You see, John the Baptist, his message was, Behold the Lamb of God in John. But Matthew, it's not a different message. He just pointed out a different aspect of the message. As he says in Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, it says, In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He said, For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John's message was that of repentance. He says, listen, if you look at the Old Testament, you'll find that we are sinners. You know, there's no way I could possibly keep all 600 plus rules and regulations and laws that are in the Old Testament. If I try to do that, I'm going to drive myself crazy. I'm going to be frustrated and I will never, ever attain to the perfection that is, that is needed to be able to be holy as, as God is holy. And so we needed the Lamb of God. We needed that sacrificial lamb, the one that would pay for the sins of our lives and remove the penalty. I'm thankful that that Paul points to that uh, in his writings. I'm thankful that John pointed to that as he says, Behold the lamb. This is the one that would take away the sins of the world. Even the name Jesus. As the angels declared to Joseph, "This You shall call his name Jesus and he shall be the, uh, save his people from their sins. You see, even in his name, Christ is the Savior. You see, because I can't save myself. You know, I can put on a suit, I can do a good show, all these things, but none of those things will save you. Only Jesus Christ can save. 
Paul testified. He said, listen, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was, I was a Jew. I was a, not just a Jew, but I was a Pharisee. He says, I have been uh, abused for the uh, gospel. I persecuted for, for the Old Testament. He says, I did all of these things, and this is what I found, that I could not save myself. Romans chapter 7, he records a little bit of that struggle. And in the midst of it, I just want to pull out a couple of verses there from Romans 7, verses 18 through 20, as he deals with this struggle that, that is in his flesh. And, and he says, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For the will is present with me. But how to perform that which is good, I find not. For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that's what I do. Now, I, now, if I do that, I would not. It is no more that I do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. Did you hear his level of frustration? Maybe before you received Christ as your Savior, you were involved in a works-based religion. And maybe you're saved today. Maybe you're not saved today. You know, that's the, the, the problem is, is where the work-based religion is, if I do the saving, I've got to do the keeping. But you see, when it's up to Christ, He's the one that saves, He's the one that keeps, and the Holy Spirit is the seal. And I'm thankful for the work that God does in my life. He is the, is the Lamb of God. He is the one that removes the sins of the world, not me and not you. And so as we come to this point, John points to Jesus. And the two disciples, we see, they follow Jesus in verse 37. And we come to verse 30, 38. And I love Christ. Amen. It is so awesome. It just gets to the heart of the matter every single time. And Jesus turned and saw them following and said, What seek ye? Now, you're probably thinking, you know, the simplicity of that question maybe is, Hey, is there something you need? Is there, is there something I can help you with? That's typically if I saw someone following me, I'd say, Hey, what do you want? But his question was deeper than, what, than, than that, something that simple. His question was, what are you seeking? Are you seeking a, a deliverer to deliver you from Roman oppression? Are you seeking someone to deliver you from physical infirmity? Are you seeking the food, the manna? What are you seeking? And I love, I love the response here because they say, Rabbi, where dwellest thou? He says, listen, is there a place where we can talk? Is there a place where, where we can just come and listen to you? You're the master. You're the teacher. You're the one that we need to hear from today. And he says, listen, is there just a place where we can get alone with you, God? Wasn't an incredible invitation here? And he said unto them, come and see. What a beautiful invitation today. You see, the story of Christ has always been come. He says, come and see here at the beginning. He says, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, come unto me and I will give you rest. You see, the story of Christ is not get away, but come close. The story of Jesus is, listen, are you hurting? Are you in need today? Then come and enjoy the, the, all that I have to offer you today. The story of Jesus is a story of love. A story that wants to uh, bring us in close. And that is why he died on the cross. You see, because without his death, his, his burial, and his resurrection, we could never come close to the Lord. But Jesus made it possible for us who are sinners to be able to come nigh unto the Lord, be able to enter into the very throne room of God, grab hold of the horns of the altar and say, God, forgive me, a sinner. I love the Lord. What seek ye? What do you want today? They weren't seeking miracles. 
They weren't there for free food. Obviously, they hadn't become Baptists yet. They were simply there for truth. They said, teach us. How do we get to heaven? How do, we, how do we know what truth is? Because remember, when they sought truth, they went to the right source because Jesus saith, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man come to the Father but by me. And so when, they, when, when John the Baptist said, go to Jesus, he's the Lamb of God, and they, they came to him and said, Lord, or Master, is there some place we can, we can talk? Because they sought truth. They sought it in the right place. Later, when Philip came and he was trying to convince Nathaniel to uh, put his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse number 46, he simply told him, remember his response was, can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? And Philip said, come and see. The same words, the same verbiage, the same reality, because when we behold the Lord, when we look upon him, when we see him for who he is, our heart is convinced within us. And today our call, our desire is to continue to lift up the Lord to lift up Jesus Christ, His truth, and let people hear and believe and behold. Romans chapter 10 and verse 17 says, So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. You see, the reality is the voice of truth is a threat to all that, that spew lies. If you speak truth, Satan is offended and hurt by, by that truth. And so he makes every attempt he can to silence truth. That's what Matthew chapter 4, the temptation in the wilderness was about. That's what the cross was about, the attempt to silence and squelch the truth. But up from the grave he arose. With a mighty triumph for his foes, he arose a victor from a dark domain. And I'm so thankful that Jesus Christ lives on high today. You see, that's who, who he is. You can't silence the truth of Jesus. This world may try to turn us off. This, this world may try to, to make the, 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 uh, the Word of God go away, but I'm telling you, the world cannot silence the Word of God today. And so let it ring forth. Let us be able to speak it with boldness. Let us be able to share truth with courage and, and with humility today. Let us come to the cross and seek the one who so boldly declares, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man come to the Father but by me. So James and John... Each of these disciples, they beheld the truth and they had a decision to make. And I love their, their decision. They believed. They put their faith in Christ. Now, to do this would mean they would also have to reject other things as well. They had to reject the lies of the Pharisees. They had to reject uh, the lie that they could earn their way, work their way into heaven. The Judaizers and others, they, those that would come later. Listen, it was Jesus and Jesus not only, not Jesus and. And today, this is what people sell, will tell us. It's okay to believe in Jesus and whatever else. Listen, it's not Jesus and, right? We got that. We understand that this is not a, a pluralistic type of a mentality. We're not polytheists here. There is one God and one God only, and only Jesus Christ is able to save. As James and John entered into that home, into that house with Jesus, that quiet place, and they sat down with Christ. I could just imagine them like a couple of children just sitting at the feet of, of a grandma or grandpa, you know, just quiet and ready to listen to those wonderful stories. And they sit there. And they get quiet. John does not record what Jesus says. He doesn't say. 
It doesn't say, and Jesus expounded Isaiah chapter 53. He doesn't say that, uh, that Jesus expounded Isaiah 9 or Isaiah 11. He doesn't say any of those things. But I believe in my heart that Jesus expounded on the truth that John the Baptist has been teaching them. Behold the Lamb of God. He says, I am the Lamb. And as they sat there that day, I'm reminded that they had a response. And their response simply was to believe. Now, we can believe all kinds of things, right? Uh, I personally believe that the best vehicle on the market today is a Chevrolet. What are y'all laughing for? You know, but uh, I don't care which if you believe something different. You don't have to, uh, you can drive something second best. It's fine with me. You know, but that belief is not going to save me. As a matter of fact, I've been broken down on the side of the road in a Chevrolet, believe it or not. You know, that, that belief is not even going to keep me from being able to have uh, perfect uh, road trips with no problems. But you see, when I put my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, there's a change that happens. You see, because it's more than just a belief in, in an automaker, or a belief in a chair, or a belief in anything of those natures. A belief in Jesus Christ transforms us from the inside out. And this is the changed life that happened as a result of James and John and their faith in Jesus Christ. You see, as we see this world dive headlong into sin, we see them running as fast as they can into the, the gates of Sodom and Gomorrah. And there has also grown a chasm between those that truly believe and those who have simply made Jesus a part of, uh, of, of uh, have rejected Christ. And there's a chasm. Have you, have you really believed? Are you truly put your faith in Christ? Because if you, if you have, it's made a difference in your life. If you've never put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, I tell you, there's a difference here and there's a difference here. You see, James and John, they looked upon Christ. Initially, they called him rabbi. Later in the word of God, he's called the son of God. They believed, and their life was changed. Many people want to put their faith in the Lord, and they don't, want to, they don't want what happens afterwards. Let me remind you what the Bible says, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And let me just say, we are cold from darkness to light. Our lives cannot remain the same as they did before salvation. We've been changed because there's something brand new on the inside. And now I don't want to I don't want to confuse this with a works-based false salvation because it's not the same. But the Bible says, if you look in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, it says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And we get that. Salvation is by grace. But we also recognize, in verse number 10, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. It changes me. I'm made brand new. Man, I've got a heart for people. I've got a desire to help others. I've got a desire to show the love of God into this, this lost world. His presence changes our lives. Man, where once I was headed toward selfishness, where once I was headed toward hell, glory to God, now I have a destination called heaven. And there is great joy and there's great accountability. There's possession of, of, of the life that God has designed for me. And I'm telling you, a life is changed when he puts his faith in Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 7 says, If ye then be risen with Christ. Are you risen with Christ this morning? Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. He says, Seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. 
Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead. Listen, I don't belong to me anymore. I am His. And your life is hid with Christ in God. It says, when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with Him in glory. He says, listen, you are His. And so as a result... Mortify, therefore, as a result of this faith, as a result of our affection upon Him, as a result of the change that salvation brings, He says, cut off, mortify your members which are on the the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked sometime when ye lived in them. He says, listen, when Jesus Christ comes into life, My life becomes different. The life of a Christian should yield a distinct, distinct flavor, if you will. A distinct difference. Satan has us us believing today that we can be saved and simply stay the same. But God teaches that through Christ, through the presence and the power of the Spirit, there is not only a change, but the power to change and a desire to. You know, a lot of people, they say, well, I don't want to be saved because I don't want to be changed. Or maybe they, they get changed and say, well, I, I, I'm saved, but all that church stuff, you know, I, I don't know if I buy into that. Well, I'll be very, very frank. That is very concerning. Because when God changes the inside, He changes me. When I put my faith in Him, my affections are upon Him. But you see, the problem is we're living in a Laodicean age. If you go to the book of Revelation in chapter 3, you can turn there with me. We're going to be there in a second. Christ shares with John seven churches. Now, these churches uh, have been compared to ages, and, and some have even suggested that these uh, churches appeared throughout the history of the church. And I think that as we look at this, they're, they're both a reflection of ages, but there are, uh, and in the ages, the, the, the church that is reflected in that age is the predominant one in the church. Now, there are good churches throughout each of the ages, uh, but, and I'm thankful for that, but there is a predominance, uh, for example, in the Laodicean, Laodicean age of that uh, church of apathy. This is the final church. And it is one that is uh, really the most reviling to our Savior. Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 20 describes it. If you'll read there with me, it says, And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works. Nothing can be hid from God. God knows. Amen. He says, Thou art neither cold nor hot. I would, I, I would thou wert hot, cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye set, that thou mayest see. And he says, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. So be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any, man come, if any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. 
See, Christ very plainly says that their lukewarm, their wishy-washy spirit, their lack of conviction and change in their life has led them to desire to spew them out of his mouth. That's, has the, you ever seen someone do that? I'm not going to describe it, and I definitely don't have a video clip of it because I that is not my thing. I, you know, youth ministry, uh, one thing I always ask Miss Linda, I said, don't do a lot of food games. <laughs> I don't do gross food, and I don't do what happens when, you, when it doesn't settle well. Listen, but he says, literally, he says, that thought is what he has when we, we become lukewarm. And so his response is repent. Repent. If you find your place, yourself in a place where you've grown lukewarm and you said, listen, I'm not as, I'm not as warm as the Lord, to the, toward the Lord as I once was, God says repent. And he says, if you're not saved, to be saved in this, this age. He says, do not wait another moment. If you've based your eternity on a whim, on an emotion, on your works, or on anything false, and not on the blood of Jesus Christ, then you're in danger. So be zealous and repent. But we see, I, I love the disciples, and I love that God includes this, because He says, listen, first they beheld Him, they believed Him, and that belief led to a change in their life. And this scene in their broadcasting of the Word of God. We'll pick up here, and I'm going to try to, to finish this out pretty quickly this morning. In verse number 40, it says, And one of the two which heard John speak followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And he first findeth his own brother, Simon, and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. Listen, he brought his brother to Jesus. In each of these circumstances, we're reminded that their conversion was demonstrated by their witness. They desired, they wanted to tell others. Many people have looked to the book of Acts and they said, listen, if you go to the book of Acts, you'll find that a true example of someone's conversion is they have the gift of tongues. No, no, no. A true example of someone's conversion is a desire to witness. That is consistent through the book of Acts. The gift of tongues was given to the church in the early days before they had the completed word of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse number 8, it says, When those things which are, uh, which, which are in part are done away, when that, thing, when that which is perfect has come. We have the word of God which stands on its own two feet. He doesn't need the, the gift of tongues today. That was a sign, a temporary sign gift given to people in that first church. Now, the real witness of salvation, the, if the real evidence of the fact that you have been saved is a zeal to tell others about this good news. Matter of fact, we just had a little boy who was saved not too long ago. And I was so excited about this. Uh, uh, your, grand, your grandson, little Declan. And I'm just so excited about little Declan. He just put his faith in the Lord. And I'm, I'm just, I just, he's a great little kid. I love him he's so much. He's eight years old. He's a lot of fun and sometimes kind of serious. But he already has a burden for his brother. Listen, that's an evidence of a life that's been changed. As Philip spoke with Nathaniel, he, he simply said, come and see. As, as, uh, as Andrew spoke to Peter, he said, listen, this is the Christ. We've, we found him and he brought him to Jesus. You see, many people don't, don't know what good news is today. Matter of fact, as Philip witnessed to Nathaniel, I love Nathaniel's response. He said, can, anything, can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Is, it, is there anything good? Yeah, this is kind of like what Galilee was kind of a backwoods area. It was where people were just kind of down to earth. Aren't you thankful for that? 
I think I'd rather be backwoods than upwoods or whatever. But if, if you were to compare it to something, it would be like people in Washington, D.C., talking about us that live here in the Bodark area saying, what good thing is in that podunk town? On top of that usual disdain that people would have, the Jews were also skeptical because there were those who dwelled there who had intermarried with non-Jewish. This would be the same area that would later try to threaten to stone Christ, the same region that would reject Him. And so perhaps Nathaniel had reason to be skeptical. But he looked out and he was, maybe he thought about Micah, Micah chapter 5, and he says, that, he says how can he be from... How can it be the Messiah and be from Nazareth and not from Bethlehem? Because the scriptures tell us that he's got to be from Bethlehem. Remember, Christ was born in Bethlehem. And then as a result of the warning of the Spirit, uh, Joseph took his new family down into Egypt uh, to protect them from Herod. And then he brought them back to be raised in Nazareth after, after he died. And so this was the region that, where Christ was born. This was the region where, where he knew uh, people, and people knew his mom and dad, and they knew his dad was a carpenter and Joseph. And they said, listen, can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? And Philip, Philip there's going to be people when we witness that are going to say, listen, can there any good thing come out of that? Or, or do you even know what you're talking about? And Philip's answer is still relevant today. Come and see. Come and behold. Set your eyes upon the truth of the Lord. You know why people scream down Christianity today? It's because they're fearful. They're afraid of the message of truth. But see, the truth is that God loves them. And he's demonstrated that beautifully in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. We know that truth. And let me just remind you that if you're here and you're listening today and you're, you've got doubts or questions and you're like, I don't know if this is the Christ or not, I invite you to come and see, behold, the Lamb of God today. He's been written in the words of, of Scripture. And the Bible says in 1 Timothy 1.15, this is a faithful and true saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. You see, Paul said, listen, Christ is here to save. Christ said in, in Luke chapter 19 and verse 10, he says, I am come to seek and to save that which was lost. His burden, his heart, his desire was so that, that you and I might be saved today. You see, the problem is all have sinned. We're sinners. Not one of us can get to heaven on our own. And so we needed a Savior, and His name is Jesus Christ. But He was not just another man. You see, the Bible says in John 1, 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the same was in the beginning with God. He was eternally God. He's always been God. This is Jesus today. This is the one we worship. And He has made available to you salvation. These disciples, as we look at their lives in the beginning of their journey with Jesus, it all started with the first step of trusting Christ. It all started right here. In this moment, in this very, this very spot where John recorded for us, where they said, listen, you've got to come and see where, where, where they had written it, where, where John the Baptist said, behold the Lamb, and then we see them put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Different circumstances, same result. One commentator said the fact that the first came to Christ as a result of the ministry of John the Baptist seems to show that God puts the preaching of the word as of first importance in the saving of sinners. 
The fact that God honored the personal efforts of two of these converts shows He is pleased to give a prominent place to personal uh, work in His means of saving souls. The fact that Philip was saved apart from all human instrumentality. Remember, Jesus found him and Jesus invited him. He said, follow me. He said, the fact that Philip was saved apart from all human instrumentality should teach us that God has not reached the end of his resources even though preachers should prove unfaithful to their calling and even though individual believers are too apathetic to go forth bidding sinners to come to Christ. You see, God is still calling. I'm reminded of that old song, There's room at the cross for you. You see, that's the invitation today. Is that God has allowed us just a little longer. I don't know how much longer this season's going to be. Impressed more and more on my spirit is that the Lord is His Lord's return is nigh. In this season of grace, the season of mercy will soon be over. And God invites you, and He says today in the Scriptures, He says, today is the day of salvation. And He invites you today to come and put your faith in Him before it's eternally too late.